Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and man, we've got something great for you today here on the MLW Radio Network. It's the debut episode of Something to Wrestle With with Bruce Pritchard. And man, I'm excited about this one, Bruce. Getting to know you over the last year and just pick your brain has been the highlight of my wrestling fandom. And now we get to share it with the entire podcast world. What's going on, Bruce? Oh, hey, man. I don't think you're half as excited as I am for me to re-enter into the world of podcast and i'm excited to bring you something to wrestle with bruce pritchard and we're going to get into some old stories we're going to get into what's going on in the business today and have a little bit of fun along the way so our format for this show is unlike anything you've ever seen before with a podcast we're going to dig in real deep on one specific story a week and this week we've got a great one what happened when Dusty went north? And we're going to talk all about when Dusty Rhodes first left Jim Crockett Promotions and went north to Vince McMahon and company in the WWF, Polka Dots, and all that ensued after. Really, probably the most in-depth discussion about that ever from someone who was there. And that's what makes this show unique. Almost every other podcast out there is through the film or the filter of what a newsletter was or what a rumor was or what the innuendo was. This is going to be the full story, something you've never heard before. And we're going to do one of these per week. At the end of that talk today, we're going to give you some insight on how you can shape the future episodes. If you've got a specific topic you want Bruce to dig into, we're talking about the golden era of the WWF or the attitude era of the WWE. Bruce was there for all of it. We can even go all the way back to Houston with that talk. Decades of topics to cover. You'll have your chance to contribute and help shape the show at the end of this show. And we are back now on something to wrestle with right here with Bruce Pritchard. And I'm excited for this portion of the show. This is the main event. Uh, this is what you're really here for. Uh, it's our storytelling time. And we call this segment, What Happened When? So, hey, Bruce, what happened when Dusty came to the WWF? It's uh, 1989, I believe. Uh, something has happened in Atlanta. Dusty's on the outs and now Dusty's looking for a, looking for a job. Somehow he winds up in New York and everybody online, myself included, has always been led to believe this is one monumental rib. What's the story? What happened when Dusty came to New York? Well, him coming to New York was definitely not a rib. I mean, Dusty coming in, when you go way back, all right. And you, you talk about when Vince first started his expansion pre Hulk Hogan, when Vince has this idea of what he wants to do and he wants to have this mega superstar, this mega champion, this mega draw before Hulk Hogan, that guy was Dusty Rhodes. And they had brought Dusty into Madison Square Garden. He worked a few garden shots, did very well, worked with superstar, did some different things. They even brought him into the hit factory, which was the it recording studio in new york city and had him cut a couple tunes and things like that and you're saying this is vince jr not senior yeah well there is no vince jr you this know what vince i mean kennedy mcmahon yeah oh my gosh okay so junior. 
the Mr. reason Terry Funk would say, Pritchard, did Junior send you in here? I like I it. I guess I should silence my phone too. Huh? No, that's Terry Funk calling right there. He's not retired. He'll never retire. Uh, so here's my question about that. In my head, uh, Vince, Vincent Kennedy McMahon has always been a body guy. How the hell was he infatuated with Dusty back then? Well, Vince was an attraction guy too. While he, while he's a body guy and he was a bodybuilder himself, he was a, he was an attraction guy. And you take a look at Dusty Rhodes and what Dusty had done in Florida and everywhere that Dusty went, he drew money. And that's what Vince was looking for. He was looking for that guy. And in comparison to Hogan, frankly, at the time, was probably more attractive because he had been all over the country already right. and he'd headlined all over the country. So when Dusty came up, they were going to do the whole thing. And, and I think at the time, Dusty's ego was maybe not quite in check so much that the dream saw himself even bigger than Vince saw him. And, and the deal kind of fell through. And then of course, Rocky three happened, Hulk Hogan's on the scene and the rest is history. So you're saying this would have been like 83? Uh, it was early, yeah, 82, 83. So at the time, uh, Dusty's probably based out of Florida and probably re- bu- helping book the territory. Am I wrong on that? Yeah, I want to say Dusty was in Florida uh, or Atlanta. And, you know, and he was in the South, and he was a dream, man. Dusty, Dusty drew big money all over the country. You could bring Dusty into Texas, brought Dusty into Florida, the Mid-Atlantic, um, St. Louis, wherever, wherever Dusty went, he normally worked on top and drew money. So that was attractive events. And he, and he drew money in the garden. So he was a proven commodity. So Vince senior really liked to book, um, I don't know, ethnicities. I'm trying to find the right way to say that he had someone for the Italians. He had someone for the Puerto Ricans. He had someone for the Irish. Who the hell was Dusty catering to? The common man, if you will, baby, the American dream. Dusty appealed to everybody. Right. Because, you know, he didn't have the bodybuilder body physique. He appealed to that common guy who's sitting there drinking a beer going, you know what? I could kick his ass. And Dusty allowed them to live vicariously through the American dream. So that was something that Vince saw in him way back when in the early 80s. So you fast forward to 1989 when Dusty came in. And Dusty coming in, he he was coming in as the American Dream, which at the time, if you remember, we didn't really use guys' gimmicks that they used previously. You know, Vince had to change everybody and make them his own, but he let Dusty use his name and the gimmick. So when you're saying he came in, do you know how that comes about? Uh, did he call Vince? Did Vince call him? I'm sure, you know, word gets around. It goes through the wrestling grapevine and people are aware in New York that he has an issue in Atlanta, but how does that come about? Do you recall? I'm pretty sure Dusty called Vince and mm-hmm. wanted to know, is there any interest in me coming in and doing some business? And the answer was, of course, yes. Okay. Who wouldn't want him? So he, he came in as, as Dusty Rhodes, the American dream and Again, Vince having to put his twist on things is where, you know, the common man and being that everyday guy. And that's where we came up with the vignettes of, you know, is he all American, Americana pizza man and Americana plumbing. And let me wash that windshield for you and Americana butcher and all those different vignettes that we did with him at the time to just make him that that common man that everybody could relate to. So. I assume he comes to Stanford, comes to the office, comes to the tower. You guys sit down and Vince says, okay, uh, I want to make you a plumber. Is that the pitch? No, not really. The actually he sent me down to Tampa to meet with dusty along with Bobby Heenan and explain the whole idea. And Vince had talked to dusty ahead of time and, and kind of explained the idea in grandiose terms. Right. But when Bobby and I went down to meet with Dusty, we met him in uh, in the old Florida championship wrestling offices. Oh, wow. And we went in. I explained to him the vignettes that we had and what we were going to shoot over the next couple of days. We did the pizza one. We did the plumber man. 
And I think, I think we did a total of three in Tampa and then we did the rest of them up in Connecticut, but we laid it out and it was, um, it was an interesting meeting. Let me put it that way. It was dream was kind of looking at us like he used to do kind of out of the side of his side of his eyeball, if you will. And I, I think dusty might have thought it was a rib. So, okay. So what you're saying is dusty didn't really trust that this was on the up and up, or he thought maybe you guys were going to bury him or he just wasn't trusting of the situation. Is that fair to say? I think he might have thought that we were yanking his chain a little bit there. And so, lo and behold, Vince comes down the next day to shoot the vignettes with us. And Vince and Dusty had a heart-to-heart talk walking around Bobby Heenan's neighborhood. And decision was made. This is what we're going to do. And let's go have some fun with it. And, And we shot the vignettes. We shot the plumber first. And then we shot the pizza man. And like I said, I think we shot one other one down there that I don't really remember. But those, you know, again, to talk about, oh, we did it as a rib, we never looked at anything as, hey, let's do this as a rib. Won't this be a great joke? And let's spend all of this money and invest all of this time and energy on a television product because it's a rib. No, we really looked at it as we think this is going to draw. Okay. Now, for those of you paying attention at home, uh, at this time, there is a character on WWF TV named the Million Dollar Man. And what is the Million Dollar Man's servant named? Virgil. And you're going to tell me that he had no reason to believe that anything you're saying was a rib. It wasn't necessarily a rib, the Virgil deal. Oh, it, it was wasn't just a rib. What if? Oh my gosh! Listen to you, Spin. It's a name. It's a it's a name that came up. It's a name that fit, and you know it worked at the time. And at the time, Dusty was in charge of uh, Crockett in the NWA in the Mid Atlantic Territory, and you know it might have been suggested as a dig on Dusty, but at the same time, it worked. It fit. Now, who may, have, may who may or may not have made that suggestion to name the manservant Virgil? Wow, I really don't recall. I think it was Joel Watts, okay. but I can't say for sure. All right, so now I'm curious, and this is the uh, wrestling nerd in me. When you're shooting stuff like this in Tampa, um, are you using a local television crew, or do you fly people down from New York? Uh, do you get permits to go shoot all this, or are you just doing this guerrilla style? How are these type of old-school vignettes done? Because I think any classic WWF uh, you know, memory has to include the way these characters were introduced to that series of vignettes. How did that come about? Well, back in the day, it was easier to ask forgiveness than permission. So most of the time, if you're asking me how I did them a lot of times, I would just shoot first and let them ask questions later. But I always had my own crews. Kerwin Silfies, who's the director of the television show, Kerwin used to come down and help direct. But it was all of our own people. It was our own crew and guys that we worked with every week. So when you and Bobby go down to have this conversation, uh, does the, is the crew already there, or do you fly them down the next day, or what's the plan for that? Like when he says, "Okay, let's do it, baby," or that's a terrible dusty. Well, the, the crew had the crew had come in that day or that evening to shoot the next day. So it wasn't a question of is he going to go for it. It's a matter of this is what we're doing. We're not here. Oh to yeah, really sell yeah. It. No, this is this is what we're doing. We were there to shoot vignettes. We were there to get this thing kicked off so when you're meeting with him is there anybody else in the meeting or is it just bobby bruce and dusty that meeting was just bobby bruce and dusty okay so after everybody kind of agrees and says hey this is what we're gonna go do is dusty living in florida does everybody kind of go their separate ways and we just say meet you under the sink tomorrow or what's the plan basically yeah it's uh we went back to my hotel bobby and i did and of course bobby lived there but Vince wanted to know how the meeting went. There weren't cell phones at right. that time, so you had to go back and get on a on a phone in a hotel and talk about it. And uh, he decided to come on down to make sure there was no no interpretations uh, or confusion on interpretation with the dream, so that uh, Dusty understood that this was coming from Vince, and this is how Vince envisioned this character. 
And when they talked, everybody was on board, and Dusty loved it. And he, I thought he did a great job. I thought he jumped in with both feet. I thought that he did a hell of a job. You know, we had fun with it, and that's what it was supposed to be. They were supposed to be fun, lighthearted, and to introduce him not as this ass kicker that he, I think, envisioned himself as, that he had always been positioned as the top babyface ass kicker, it was more of a of an attraction based deal that you know American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and he's a common man. Everybody can relate to him, and let's introduce him that way. You got to remember too, to the WWF audience, especially then who right. were only who only saw the superstars of wrestling on Saturday mornings and. They didn't know who Dusty Rhodes was. Yep. So this was a new character to them. To the traditional fan, they did know who Dusty was, and they and they they got it. But you know, no, it it wasn't a rib. It was something to enhance his character and introduce him to a whole new fan base. So tell me about the first time uh, that you remember Dusty and Vince are in the same room. Would that have happened then in Tampa, or would he have been to New York by then? Well, at that point, uh, for this, you're talking about in the 80s when he came in? That yeah, was probably the first time they were together in person was so was that, that next morning in Tampa. At that point, had they already negotiated the terms of a contract like they had? Yes. Okay. And, yes, and, they and had. Vince at the time is kind of famous for he's not giving guarantees. It's um, a rough number. Okay. So, no, opportunity. What does that, that was mean, his only though? guarantee. Let me hear the Vince McMahon pitch to a Dusty Rhodes on opportunity when he's coming from headline and, and Jim Crockett. Well, goddamn, pal, you've done great in the past. Imagine what you can do with the machine behind you. We've got action figures. We've got magazines. We've got it all. We've got pay-per-view. We've got Madison Square Garden. You know, it was something that he was able to offer them that they didn't have before. So they just and imagined it was a lot more. Yeah, and it was. Yeah. Normally it was. So to be able to give a guy like that the opportunity to come in and draw and make more money than he had previously because there's more opportunity to make money, more revenue streams with merchandising and everything else, you know, that I think that was what attracted Dusty to it initially. But it also may be fair to say that. You know, Dusty didn't have a whole lot of leverage. 1989 was not like 1979. At this point, it was uh, one burnt bridge now in Atlanta, you know, not forever, but for a little while. So if he was going to still stay in the business and and earn a good living, it was pretty much New York or bust. Is that wrong? At that point, yeah, Dusty Dusty was doing his uh, championship wrestling from Florida promotion that he had there in Tampa, Turnbuckle Wrestling or whatever it was. And running shows in the Tampa area, and that was that was all he had at the time. So this was this was a godsend for him. This was a big opportunity that he didn't want to squelch. And you know, you talk about ribs and everything, and and uh, I don't rib, I don't want to be rib, but probably the the one and only time, maybe not. But I did have a little fun with Dusty when we were shooting things. Uh, at different points, especially when we got to the butcher shop and we put Dusty, we made him take his shirt off and put the butcher smock on him. And as I'm standing there looking at him after about the third take, and I realized, you know, and, and the the real butcher is standing right there, you know, watching with us. Right. I'm looking at the real butcher and I'm looking at Dusty. I'm looking at the real butcher. I'm looking at Dusty. And Dusty's smock is pristine white. And I said, you know, he's just not dirty enough. And they have uh, in the back in butcher shops, they would have like meat and the the juice and the blood would congeal and collect in the bottom of these trays right. and things like that. And so I might have taken a a tray of bloody meat blood and dirtied him up a little bit to look like an actual real Americana butcher, if you will. And had a little fun with that and kind of got it all over his puppies and just all <laughs> over him to make him look like he'd actually been back there working in a meat counter, baby, cutting some meat and having a little butcher time. 
But he was, you know, he, he was game. He did it all. You know, the Americana taco stand and whole nine yards, man. We had a lot of fun with those. In my head, he would have been one take Johnny with a lot of that stuff because he seems like he just has natural charisma. Was that fair to say? He, he does. But again, with with Dream, he does have natural charisma. And if it were Dream's idea, Dream coming out with it, I think he would have been one take Johnny. But he was trying so hard to become the common man right. that he was forcing it, and it wasn't as natural as everything else that he did. So it took a little while, and once he got comfortable with it, you know, it, it was dream. It was easy to do. So we had we had a lot of fun with that. So uh, in this first initial meeting now, Vince McMahon is in the room. Dusty's there. Any memorable uh, moments or pieces of conversations or tidbits that you recall from all you guys being together for the first time? No, you know, it was it, Vince and Dusty went and took a walk and had a private conversation one-on-one and Dusty came back with a great attitude and ready to go to work. Wow. Okay. So, so that was, no, I was not privy to that and nor was Bobby. They, we all met at, at Bobby's house and Vincent, let's have a talk, pal. And they went and took a walk. Walked around the block a couple times, came back, and he was ready to go. Uh, Dusty had to be, um, and I don't mean this in a negative way, because he's one of my all-time favorites, as you know, but Dusty had Mine to be too. a little cocky or arrogant or confident or whatever you wanted to say. Did any of that rub Vince the wrong way? At times, it might have rubbed people the wrong way, but... You know what? Vince rubs people the wrong way sometimes right. for the same reasons. And, you know, you can be cocky and arrogant if you can back it up. Right. And Dream Dream could back it up. You know, Dream had done all those things. Dream was the man, you know. He was on top of the mountain. And nobody could touch Dusty Rhodes in a lot of respects. So him walking in with the chip on his shoulder, it, it was... It was warranted, but I think there were a lot of guys that maybe had worked for Dusty in the past that might have felt that they were treated unfairly, that looked at him like, oh, we're going to humble him, which, you know, there there was a little um, – he wasn't welcomed with open arms in the locker room right away. And so normally I would say without naming names, but screw that, uh, name some names. Who would, who would he have not been comfortable with? Probably guys who he used to work with and Jim Crockett. Yeah. Essentially, guys, guys were like who a Jake worked Roberts. for him before. Jake worked with him. Jake worked with him in Georgia. Would would Jake have had a problem? Would Ted DiBiase have had a problem? I think that it was more of again. It goes back to that rumor and innuendo type thing, right. and guys that that had worked with him, maybe they felt they should have gotten a better payoff on this night or or what have you. And this guy's going around in jets and mink coats and limousines and dropping all this money everywhere. There might've been a little jealousy there, but it was just a, a general overall feeling guys that had never met dusty before had a preconceived notion of what he was notion. I see. And you know, when, when you get to know dusty, he's one of the sweetest human beings you will ever, ever have had the pleasure to have known and experienced um, it takes a little while for him to open up and, and do that and, and, and let somebody in. Uh, would any of the old timers from the WWF have taken, you know, some of his counter programming, uh, for, for people who maybe don't remember whenever the WWF would have a big event, uh, the NWA would try to counter program it with a free event and just to try to distract. And there was lots of, you know, heated rivalry stuff that was happening in the mid and late eighties. Would any of the old timers like a gorilla monsoon, I don't mean to specifically name him, but you know, Alanza or whoever's there at the time had some sort of mixed emotions about dusty being there. This mother's day and father's day, look no further for the perfect gift than paintyourlife.com. It's worked for me every time. And when I say every time, I mean it. I've used paintyourlife.com to bring tears to the eyes of my mom, my dad, even my father-in-law. And right now I'm ordering one for my mother-in-law all from paintyourlife.com. My mother-in-law's life is her dog, Missy. 
And this year, my wife and I knew exactly what to get my mother-in-law for mother's day, a painting of Missy. It really is that simple too. All we needed was a, a picture from our phone. Boom. We're up and running. You see, paintyourlife.com can really create a hand painted portrait to fit almost any budget. And it's the perfect gift for your mother, your father, or both. I've used it, as I said, on almost every person in my life. I've given these to my wife. I've given it to my cousin, my mom, my dad, my father-in-law. If I'm looking to give a truly meaningful, personable gift, I know the paintyourlife.com has my back and they're going to make it easy. You can go ahead and start the entire process in less than five minutes. And what's really cool about paintyourlife.com is they can even combine photos. Maybe you want to put two people who never met in one of your favorite vacation spots. You can do that. Just upload the photos. Bam. You're good to go. Maybe grandpa never got to meet his grandson. With paintyourlife.com, that can become a reality. You can put people and places together, even if they've never been there. You pick the artist, you pick the medium. Do you want oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even go ahead and pick out an awesome frame. The whole process to get started, as I said, takes less than five minutes, and you can actually get your painting in as little as two weeks. But you work hand-in-hand -hand with the artist to get every detail perfect. If you're looking to get those waterworks going, to have your mom or your dad tear that paper and just almost be overcome with emotion, that's what I got, and I've never gotten that reaction to a gift card. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. Now, to get this special offer, just text the word WRESTLE to 87204. That's WRESTLE to 87204. Text WRESTLE to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. I think maybe on the surface they might have, but you mentioned Gorilla Monsoon. Gorilla welcomed him with open arms, and Gorilla was one of those guys who he and Dusty were friends when they had worked together in different places, and he knew Dusty. So he welcomed him with open arms. And there, you know, once Dusty comes in and, and you get to know Dusty, not in a, a supervisor role or right. as your boss, just as he's just one of the boys. Please. He's, he's the best. So talk to me about what everybody really wants to talk about. And we've talked for 20 minutes now and not addressed it. Polka dots. Where does this come about? What's the meeting like when somebody first says polka dots? It was no meeting. It was a TV taping and Dusty was in the ring. And Vince, I'm at gorilla position watching the monitor. Vince is standing in front of me. Pat Patterson's nearby. And Vince is watching the monitor and says, you know, I see him in polka dots. I'm like, what? Dusty polka dots. Giant yellow polka dots. <laughs> We're looking at him like, okay, you know, all right. You see him in polka dots. And Dusty comes back through the curtain having had his match. Dream, let me talk to you real quick. And you see the two of them kind of having a little powwow off to the side. And Vince is doing his hand gestures, polka dots. And there's polka dots everywhere. Yellow polka dots. And God, it, it, it's going to set you apart. And Dusty kind of looking at him like, are you ribbing me, baby? And <laughs> Vince serious as a heart attack. Polka dots. And uh, polka dots were born. Next TV, Dusty had black tights with yellow polka dots everywhere. He had his little uh, shirt made with polka dots, and that's where they came from. Not a rib. It was something to enhance him, to make his, his dress and everything about him be a little bit different than what he had been in before, you know, the black tights and the DR on his tights. 
So no, it wasn't a rib. It wasn't some conceived meeting. Let's make fun of Dusty. It was, it was a vision that Vince had and acted on. So at uh, SummerSlam in 1989, he wrestles the Honky Tonk Man. Uh, that on paper doesn't seem like a match that would have ever happened, but it did. Uh, how did that match come about? Do you recall? I, you know what? I really don't, but I, I do recall the sing off that we did with honky tonk man doing his, I'm just a honky tonk man. And dusty was like, you know, baby, I can sing, I can sing better than him. I'm putting his, and he was serious. Sure. He said, let me sing. I do. I do a great rendition of Johnny B bad. And we brought a band into the studio in Stanford, Connecticut, and we had Dusty do Johnny B. Bad. And he was horrible. <laughs> but midway through it, I'm sitting there and I go, hey, what if we change the words from Johnny B. Bad to Dusty B. Bad? And that kind of threw him off a little bit, but that's what we went with, you know, uh, with Dusty doing Dusty B. Bad in the studio and it was absolutely hilarious. And I would have to say that was the only time that honky tonk man sounded better than anybody singing. <laughs> well, and it's that hard was to, a lot of fun. it's hard to imagine, you know, now because he, he's really a caricature in hindsight, but honky tonk man had serious heat. I mean, he was a hated heel back then. Uh, so that, oh. that would, that was a make sense program. He had heat not only in the audience, he had heat in the locker room. Everywhere he went, he had heat. <laughs> now, Honky Tonk Man, he was a great heel. He he was just so easy to work with, and and he loved and he loved the heat, which a great heel does. So let's look at his other big matches when he's there. We roll on to WrestleMania, uh, his very first WrestleMania, and of course, Dusty's credited with creating Starcade, which was the NWA's premiere show. And now he's finally out of WrestleMania. It's WrestleMania Six. It's in Toronto. Uh, and he is wrestling the Macho King. Uh, how does that come about? This is another match where you just seemingly, uh, what is going on? Here's a, a WWF guy, and now here is really a guy we all identify as an NWA guy. And maybe, you know, a year or two earlier, this would have been a dream match because both of those guys were near the top of their game. And now, you know, one's in polka dots and one's wearing a crown. What happened? <laughs> it was what you just said. It was two of the stop, top stars in the game. It was Randy and Dusty. And, and the characters, the Macho King, looking down on everybody. And the guys that the Macho King's looking down upon are the common people. And you got the leader of the common people, the common man, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. And you got Miss Sapphire. And you got uh, Queen Sherry. It was a match made in heaven. And it, it was, uh, I'll tell you a, a great story because I had been out with them during the summer and it was a mixed tag team match with the macho king and queen sherry against dusty and sapphire in dusty and sapphire's corner was miss elizabeth in savage's corner was brother love oh wow so we did these matches all around the horn and it was without a doubt, some of the most fun I have ever had in the business because Dusty and I would travel together a lot during that time. I either traveled with, with Randy and Liz or I traveled with Dusty. And, oh, my God, we we just had a blast together, just up and down the roads and, and having a lot of fun. But when we first started this match, we – Laid out the match. Randy liked to lay things out. We laid out the match. And Dusty dictated a lot of it, if you will. And the match, in short, kind of consisted of myself, Randy, and Sherry running into Dusty's elbow. <laughs> Dream, Dream didn't move. The elbow just stayed up in position, and our heads found it. I see. And... I am having an absolute blast every night. Just working with Dusty, having fun, working with Randy and Sherry and everybody. I mean, we are having a blast. And we're kind of doing the same thing every night, every night, you know. And, and we're doing this for about two, three, four weeks, maybe three weeks. 
And we finally get to Hamilton, Ontario. And we got a double shot. So we're doing a show in the afternoon and another uh, show that night in Toronto. Well, Pat Patterson is the agent for both shows. And Pat has not yet seen our match. He says, what have you guys been doing? He says, well, we'll show you tonight. So we go out or during the day, the first show. So we go out and we have the match and we come back. And we're like, what'd you think? And he says, how are you guys getting to Toronto? I said, well, we actually were going to ride with somebody. He says, ride with me. So this is Pat Patterson telling Randy and myself and Liz to ride with him. Right. So we get in the car. He had a, he had a limousine. And we get in the car. And on the way there, Pat tells us it was one of the worst matches he had ever seen in his wow. life. <laughs> he says, I hated it. Oh, my God, Randy, you're a WWF champion, and you're out there, and you're bumping all over for him, and you're not getting anything in, and he makes you look like a piece of garbage. And essentially, he's getting Randy fired up because he's, like, telling him, he's abusing you, and now you're bumping, and you're making he doesn't do anything, and you're a champion, and everybody, they love you, and... Brother Love, what the hell? He goes, you get in for the match, you get in one time, one time only. You got heat. Why you go in and bump all over for him? We think about it, and Pat's telling us everything that's wrong with the match that we laid out that we loved. Right. And he's making sense. He's making a lot of sense. But to be... Just real blunt, man. We were fans of Dusty, and we were having a good time (laughs) working with the dream and doing all of his stuff. So he says, let's come up with a different match. So we come up with a completely different match with basically Randy controlling the majority of the match and getting heat on Dusty and Dusty making his comeback, and Brother Love gets in at the very end, and Dusty gets... One shot at Brother Love, and that's the finish, and and we're out of there. So we get to Toronto, and we have this match. Randy and I have this whole match laid out. I mean, we've got it, got it completely laid out. And Randy says he's fired up. I mean, he's he's just all bowed up. He's ready to go, and he's like, "Where's Virgil? Where is he?" And he hadn't gotten there yet. Let me know as soon as he gets in, and we need to talk to him. So. Dusty comes in, puts his bag down, and they say, hey, uh, Dusty's in the back dressing room over there. So we go marching in, and, and Randy goes over to, to Dusty. says, Green, we need to talk to you for a minute uh, in here. So we walk around the corner, go into the shower. That's where you had all your private meetings. <laughs> it's in a shower or a bathroom stall. So <coughs> we, we get in, and Randy starts off by going, Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, we were talking to Pat about the match, and uh, he didn't like it. And uh, we had we had some changes and things like that. And uh, we're going to make some changes tonight. So, um, Brother Love, go ahead and tell him what the match is. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. And I, I'm looking at Randy like, why me? And go, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And so I lay the match out to Dusty. And Dusty has got his back against the wall in the shower and is looking at me with these giant bug eyes. Doesn't say a word throughout the entire spiel. And we're finished. And Randy's like, okay, what do you think? And Dream just looks at him and says, baby, you know, this is kind of like somebody going in and grabbing Babe Ruth and pulling him in the shower and telling him how to hit the ball, if you will. And there's silence, and Randy says, Well, babe, that's what we're doing tonight. See you in the <laughs> ring. <laughs> <laughs> and it was I mean it was just classic dusty and we went out, you know, we tore it up. But uh, yeah, it, brother 
yeah, okay, babe. And from that point on, he was babe to us. And that's amazing. Every night we would go out and go, hey, babe, uh, this is what we're doing. Baby, so, <laughs> you know, but that was just typical Dusty. So you mentioned a minute ago, um, Sapphire. You know, I'm really struggling with this. How is this not a rib? Sapphire as a valet? First of all, who is she? Where do y'all find her? Whose idea was it? And then what was Dusty's reaction? It's a lot of questions. I got a question for you first. Okay. Why do you think Sapphire is a rib? Okay. <laughs> um, the valets in wrestling at the time are Missy Hyatt, Miss Elizabeth. Is there another one? Okay, well, let, let, let's take a Missy, Missy Hyatt. I don't think, I don't know if she was active at the time or, but she may have been with Eddie Gilbert at the time. Look at Eddie Gilbert. Look at Missy Hyatt. Look at Miss Elizabeth. Look at Randy Savage. So are you oh, telling me wow. that when you compare those and, and you're looking at a female counterpart to the male counterpart, the common man would have a common woman by his side? He wouldn't have some beautiful stripper esque gorgeous girl by his side. He'd have a common woman. He'd have a common common lady by his side. So are you going to suggest that Sapphire was not a rib? Absolutely not. Sapphire was there to enhance Dusty in the American Dream and the Common Man. That wasn't a rib. Again, I, I, I keep going to the same point. We didn't do things for a rib and especially invest that much money on something in a character Oh, well, let's just have fun with him. No, it, it was it was there to enhance that character and make him more relatable. Was there any thought put into her being black? Was that Not, strategic? Well, you know, it was, I don't know that it necessarily was. We need a black woman. No, we needed a common woman. And Juanita, who was Sapphire, was a former lady wrestler from Kansas City that... Had, you know, she had wrestled around the circuit as princess something or other. But uh, Terry Garvin knew of a woman. And when we started talking about we need a, a common woman, and he says, I've got just the person. you know, And it would help if she had taken bumps before and different things like that. But we didn't want a striking beauty, if you will, not to say that Sapphire wasn't beautiful in her own way. But we were looking for just a common woman and she fit that bill who suggested her who suggested the character sapphire sapphire specifically who said hey i know a lady uh that was terry garvin okay who came up with her yeah who found her who in the meeting said we need a common woman i was vince okay yeah all right so now here's the big one what did dusty <laughs> think about working with her I don't know that Dream was necessarily thrilled with working with Sapphire. I don't think that he felt he needed any enhancement. So I think Dusty kind of looked at her as a handicap versus an enhancement. So uh, I don't know why my brain automatically went there, but when you said the word enhancement, a lot of people online refer to that era of the WWF as the steroid era. Um, was there any pressure or any conversation about Dusty trying to change his physique? And by saying that, I don't mean necessarily that anybody say, go take steroids. I'm not asking that. I'm asking, did he feel the need to try to trim down, to drop some weight? Uh, was there any conversation about him just trying to change his physique for WWF television? Yes, there was. And Dusty brought that up. And Dusty, when he started... And he came up in a conversation with Vince, told Vince that he was eating salads and chicken breasts and was on a diet and exercising and hitting the treadmill and all these things. And Vince looked at him and said, why? I want you as you are. I want to see the puppies. I want the flab. I, I, don't change a thing. So to the contrary, and Dusty felt that he needed to get in get in shape if you will dusty was in great shape an incredible athlete this was a big guy right but he could move for a big guy and you know i laugh when people would say oh my god look at that sloppy son of a bitch. how can that be an athlete he was a stud throughout his entire career 
Even then, he could move and he could go. So help me understand, when you're saying um, puppies, and I know I'm circling back to something silly here, are you suggesting that Vince McMahon coined that phrase and not Jerry Lawler? Are you crushing all of my dreams here today? I think I'm crushing your dreams there, pal. <laughs> yes. So Vince McMahon. That's a Vince term, puppies. Okay. I don't think that. Well, I didn't know that. Maybe the whole internet knew that, and I didn't. But uh, so uh, the music is iconic. The Dusty Rhodes theme song. Uh, is that something that you guys just had in the can for somebody at some point, or was that specific for Dusty Rhodes as far as the beat and all that? Obviously, 100%, the lyrics. 100% specific for Dusty Rhodes, written and performed by uh, Jimmy Hart. Wow. And that was that was for, for Dusty, and Jimmy wrote it, and with his uh, partner, I think his partner's name was Jimmy McGuire, and they knocked it out of the park. He, oh, Jimmy Hart also did Big Boss Man, too. Two iconic themes, for sure. Yeah, so it was, uh, without a doubt, definitely for Dusty Rhodes. So then as we continue to talk about the pay-per-views, uh, Macho would work again with Dusty at SummerSlam. But then Survivor Series 1990, Dusty Rhodes is on the babyface team, and there is a debut heel character on the opposite side of the ring, and it's Kane the Undertaker. Um, and then that was pretty much the beginning of the end for Dusty. Uh, kind of tell us your memories about, um, you know, mean Mark Callis then debuting, uh, at that Survivor Series and Dusty's involvement in that match because they would have certainly crossed paths in the past. Uh, did anybody have any sort of issue with putting over this new guy so strong? And then kind of what was the exodus for Dusty from the WWF? You know, I don't, I remember that obviously, um, but there was, there was no problem at all with making sure that everybody in that match, it was, that match was designed to get the undertaker over in a huge debut and to make him look like a, a killer in there. And dusty was a big part of that, you know, it may have been the fact that I just whipped Dusty's ass so bad on the outside of the ring that night that he had to leave in shame, having Brother Love have oh him whoop gosh. his ass on the outside of the ring, that maybe that's why he had to stick his tail between his legs and leave. But no, <laughs> no. actually, when, when Dusty left, Dusty had an opportunity to go back to Atlanta in a, in a booking position. And he went to Vince and says, hey, you know, they got a shakeup down here. And... I've been offered my old job back and Vince wouldn't stand in his way. Now, here's my question. We started this conversation and I do want to circle back to Dustin for a minute, but I want to follow up on that thought right there because we started this conversation by talking about, you know, Vince didn't really make guarantees on contracts and we just talked through what the Vince pitch was and it was kind of understood that most guys would believe they would make more money. And you said in most cases they do. So if this is for more money and he's making more money right now, why the hell would he want to go back to his old job? Power and the lure of more money there. So he felt like the booking position there would pay more than a performer with dolls and magazines and everything else. Right. Because he was in charge and he was also working and in a position to put himself in a top position and be a part of everything. Which he didn't do when he went back, by the way. He went back as a booker, but no, I don't. I don't think he. He didn't book himself into anything. He didn't book himself into that. No. So uh, the last, you know, sort of time we'll see him on WWF TV for a long time is the Royal Rumble 1991, uh, right around that early 1991 period, and he's tagging with Dustin Rhodes. Is there any sort of irony in the fact that they are wrestling Ted DiBiase and Virgil? on his way out that it's Virgil versus Virgil. Is there any real thought put into that? Because that too, to me seems like a rib that Virgil (laughs) Reynolds last pay-per-view match is against a character manservant that was also named Virgil after him. Absolutely not. Cause we had, we had done the program with DiBiase and, and brought Dustin in and it was just conclusion to that program. How does that come about? Does Dusty recommend Dustin coming to the to New York, or does Vince ask about him? 
No, Dusty recommended him. He was in uh, Kansas City at the time, and we were coming through there, and he, we actually put him on some of the house shows that we had, and Dustin did a hell of a job. So we brought him in and did a little something with him at the time. Why was there not a play to try to keep him or do something bigger with him and just instead of just letting him go back with his dad? Because Dusty wanted him back. Okay. Dusty wanted him to come with him, and out of respect to Dusty. You know, it's that's the other thing that people don't always realize with Vince McMahon is I know there's times that he's maybe gone back on his word with some people, but for the most part, if he gives you his word that he's going to do something, he'll do it. And he's fair, and he's he really doesn't do things out of malice. Right. You know, there, there's exceptions to that rule, obviously. But Dusty had an opportunity to go back, and uh, it's what he was going to be happy doing, having the booking position in Atlanta. And Vince was like, if you're going to be happier there, I don't want somebody here that's going to be unhappy. Right. And if your son feels more comfortable being there working with you and you want him, I'm not going to stand in his way either. So those are things that that he's done a lot of times over the years that people don't realize and they wonder, well, that doesn't make any sense. It it did because for the right business reasons of having a happy camper or an unhappy camper, go ahead and if you got an unhappy camper, get him out of camp. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk about some fun stuff. Let's kind of rapid fire some of these. I'm sure you've got some fun stories here. Um, True or false? Dusty Rhodes in the locker room, cowboy boots, and not much else. Yeah, pretty much. Or a t-shirt. But no pants. No pants. No. First thing Dream did when he got into a locker room was drop his drawers. <laughs> what? Why does Dusty hate pants so much? I don't know. Maybe they, maybe he got chafed or something. But, uh, yes, that's a true story. That's pretty much true wherever he was. Um your favorite dusty rib uh dusty had to have a great sense of humor based on what we what little we fans know there has to be a fun dusty rib since nothing Holy else was cow. a rib sapphire wasn't a rib polka dots weren't a rib there's no such thing as a rib but dusty had to have a good sense of humor and rib somebody Dusty had no dusty had a great sense of humor i, I don't know well it was a rib on me but it was just kind of funny to give you an example of dusty's kind of sense of humor we were in cincinnati and dream and i were traveling together and dusty always liked to stay off the beaten path away from everybody else and we pull up to a hotel a brand new hilton hotel at the cincinnati airport we pull up sapphire and sherry pull up right behind us now we had no idea where we were staying that night we were going to go in and see if they had rooms and they pull up and go oh hey are you guys staying here and dust says yeah, baby, we're staying here, but they sold out for the night. Y'all need to go there. The nice little Fairfield Inn over there, or Hampton Inn down the street. Real nice for y'all. I, I I called in. They got reservations for y'all over there when I thought they didn't have no more rooms over here. And would send the girls on the way so that nobody would stay with us. We go in, all right, and Dream is telling me, Pongadid, Pongadid, let me handle this because I stay here all the time. They know me here. I get us a good rate. We walk in, and now this place is brand spanking new. He stays here all the time. He stays there all the time. I get a good rate. Let me handle everything. And we walk in, and the girl says, oh, hey, welcome. We're so happy to have you. This is our first weekend open. And (laughs) I'm looking at Dream like, (laughs) stay here all the time, right? I mean, they just built this place. It just opened it a week ago. So we go, we go in, and, and Dream and I had made plans to go to a movie that afternoon before the show. So we, we go in, and we go to our separate rooms, and I throw my bags in my room, and I go to Dusty's room, and I knock on the door and walk in, and he's there. No sans pants. pants. No pants. <laughs> <laughs> he just has his T-shirt on, sitting on the bed, and he turns the TV on. And on the TV, it says... The Cincinnati Airport Hilton welcomes Dusty Rhodes on the on the TV screen. And he looks, you know, I'm looking at that and and 
I'm like, what the hell? He goes, oh man, he goes, they do that all the time. He goes, I tell them, always tell them, don't, they don't need to do that to let everybody know I'm here and all that. You know, I, I don't like it when they do that. So I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, so I don't even think about it. I'm just thinking it's odd that you turn on the TV and sure. Hilton is welcoming Dusty Rhodes. Now, you got to go back in time to 1989 when technology wasn't as sophisticated sure. as it is now. It's a big deal back then. Yeah. So we decide, he decides that uh, we're, he's too tired to go to a movie and he's just going to hang out in the room. So I go back to my room, turn the TV on, and the Cincinnati airport Hilton welcomes Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> so now I get it. Okay. You know, you check in your room, they program your name, they welcome you on the screen. So I call him, go, hey, you asshole. I said, that's something they do for everybody. Goes, no, punking head. What it was is I saw your faith when you looked at the TV and thought they had only recognized me. And I called down to the front desk and said, hey, can y'all put Bruce Pritchard's name up there on the TV so he don't feel bad? <laughs> I love him. That's the kind of sense of humor he had. <laughs> and that's, you know, the, the the way that he was. And you could call BS on all of it, and he would he would look you around the face and go, no, nah, Pong in hand, I did that for you, baby. I, love I didn't it. want you to feel bad. So you mentioned a minute ago that you guys rode together. You've got to have a, a good Dusty Road story. Well, when Dusty first came in and nobody wanted to ride with him, we did a tour through the Northeast, and Dream and I rode together in my little tiny Honda Prelude. And for those of you who don't know what a Honda Prelude is, it's basically a little two-seater sports car made by Honda. Small. And Dusty and I uh, picked him up, and we we made the Northeast run and so on and so forth. And along this run, I, I was it was Dusty's first house show run with the WWF at the time. And I'm telling dreams, things like, you know, Dusty, um, being on our TV, you're going to have more notoriety than you ever, ever dreamed of pun intended. Right. And he would look at me and just be like incredulous. I am the second most recognizable athlete in the world. Second only to Muhammad Ali. And I just kind of look at him like going, well, you know what? I, I'm willing to bet worldwide Hulk Hogan's maybe a little more recognizable than you. And there's probably a few others. And so I knew I, I from the very first response that he was the second most recognizable athlete in the entire world, second only to Muhammad Ali. I knew that bothered him a little bit. Right. That I would question his notoriety. Sure. So I kind of needled him on the on the whole trip and, and everything. I said, you know, you got to understand, Dream. You're going out here tonight. They're not going to know who you are. But once you get on our TV and you get that exposure, you know, the audiences are going to get to know you and you'll you'll start getting responses again. But but don't expect it at first because they don't know who you are, really. I'm the second most recognizable athlete in the entire world, second only to Muhammad Ali. If you can imagine four days <laughs> in a Honda Prelude of listening to the second most recognizable athlete in the entire world today, second only to Muhammad Ali. I'm like, okay, man, I get it. You know, you're... Your second most recognizable athlete, so on and so forth. So we end up the tour in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and we're coming back, and he's staying in Manhattan, and I lived in Connecticut. So I got to drop him off, and then I'm heading home. So it had been a long four days <laughs> with Virgil and Pumpkinhead in this tiny little prelude. And on the way back, I like to drive fast, and I was a little heavy on the little gas there at the time going through New Jersey on the Jersey uh, turnpike or whatever it was. And all of a sudden I see these nice red, white, and blue lights shining behind me. Womp, womp, womp. Yes. And some of the uh, fine state troopers from the great state of New Jersey were requesting that I pull my car over. And as I'm doing this, I share with Dusty that there might have been 
a substance in the trunk of my car that wasn't altogether universally legal at the time. In today's day and age, uh, the substance I had is legal in several states and prescribed by doctors. But at that time, it was kind of frowned upon. So it was heroin. Never been heroin. So anyway, <laughs> but I did inhale. So is we, you know, so I'm like going, okay, be cool, man. I, you know, because in Texas, if you go over, like I think it's 96 or whatever the speed limit is, man, it's they right just close. take you straight into jail, right? And I know I was going over 100. So we pull over. Now roll the windows down, and, and this can go one of two ways. Because you're either going to get nice cop or you're going to get asshole cop. Well, the police approached my car, one on each side. We, I rolled both windows down, and the guy comes over, asks for license and registration. I give it all to him, and he asks me a question. He says, do you have any idea how fast you were going? Before anything can come out of my mouth, Dream pops up with, Officer, last time I looked over there, he was doing at least 88 miles an hour. I told him to slow down. Wow. Uh, Thanks a lot, buddy. And the cop shines a light in both of our faces and asks that dreaded question. Or no, actually, I take it back. He didn't ask the question yet. So he takes, takes my little thing. He walks back to his car. And they sit back there, what seems like forever. The police in the car, they're running my license, doing all this stuff. And I just, I'm praying that they're going to give me a ticket and be on my merry way. Don't open the trunk. Don't, don't ask me to get out. Don't open the trunk. (laughs) Nothing. Because Dream was, you know, had a few beers on the, on the other side of the uh, car as well. So cop comes back, both sides, windows down. Shines a light in the car again. He says, um, are you guys wrestlers? So here's where the decision comes. Right. Do you say yes, and hopefully the guy's a fan and going to give you a break? Or do you, you know, or do you say yes, and he's not a fan, and he hates wrestlers, and he just messes with you? Or you say no, and you just go on your merry way? Now, I'm completely out of makeup. I've got really long hair. My hair's dry, and it's all down, and I don't look anything like that guy on TV, Brother Love. And I answered the question, yes, sir, we are, hoping that the guy sitting next to me might help me get out of this. Because? He is the second most recognizable athlete in the world, second only to (laughs) Muhammad Ali. And the cop looks at us, and he's shining the light right in our face. And he says, man, can I ask you a question? He goes, are you brother love? And again, do I answer this? <laughs> yes, do I answer Because, again, I'm an asshole. People hate me. And I, I go, well, yes, sir. I mean, because I knew it. I knew it. Oh, my God, my captain is the biggest fan. Could I get an autograph? Of course you can. So now I know I got a fan. I, I do the autograph. I go to pass it over to, to Dusty. And the guy shines the light over on Dusty and he looks at him and goes, are you a wrestler too? Oh, and he incredulously looks over that cop and goes, I am the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And the cop on Dusty's side of the window pokes his head in and goes, oh, are you still in that AWA? Wow. They let me go with not even a warning. They tell me there's no more cops between here and New York and send me on my way. And there's silence in the car. And as we're driving along and probably about, I don't know, two, three miles, he doesn't say a word. I don't say a word. And finally, I just look over at him. And I say, second most recognizable athlete in the world, second only to brother love. And, uh, yeah, so don't think I haven't told that story a few times. <laughs> I especially love telling it in his presence because he would, he would vehemently deny it, baby. No, nah, Dusty was great, man. I, I loved traveling with Virgil. Well, man, that was a great story. I can't think of a better way for us to end our Dusty Rhodes story. What happened when Dusty Rhodes came to New York? And now we know the rest of the story. All right, Bruce, this was a lot of fun, man. First one's down in the can. We're wrapping up the very first episode of Something to Wrestle With. What would you think? Wow, it went by quick. I mean, it, it 
it felt like we started and we're already finished. So it was a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of fun with this and can't wait for the weeks to come. It's been the highlight of my wrestling fandom in the time I've known you. Just kind of sitting under the learning tree, picking your brain. And we want to involve you, the listener, in that process. We knew what we were going to do this week to kind of honor the dream right around the one-year anniversary of his passing. But now we want to know from you, what do you want to hear about? So we want you to go ahead and tweet us. You can reach Bruce on Twitter at, at Bruce Pritchard. I'm at Hey Hey, it's Conrad. Go ahead and throw us a follow on there and then send us a tweet. What would you like to see us cover next week? Be sure to use hashtag love to know. That's hashtag love to know. What would you love to know? We'll cover it next week on what happened when. Or, of course, you can send Bruce an email. Bruce, what's the email they can contact you directly with? You can send me an email at something to wrestle with at AOL.com. Real simple. It's the name of the show. Something to wrestle with at AOL.com. I'm old school. I'm an older guy. So, you know, that explains the whole AOL.com. I was about to bust your balls about that. I, I feel like you signed up for that when you got a free CD-ROM in your computer magazine in 1995. Is that fair? That's exactly correct, yes. Okay, so we have, ladies and gentlemen, the first 21-year-old email address in the history of podcasting, something to wrestle with, at AOL.com. In the meantime, go ahead and throw us a follow and a subscribe down. Uh, That is actually how we pay the bills. This podcast, of course, is free to you right here on the MLW Radio Network. But we're trying to get some advertisers. We're trying to get some stuff going. And we need your help to make sure this show sticks around. So be sure to go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And if it's not too much trouble, leave us a review. And uh, I I don't want to say how many stars because I know star ratings really piss you off, Bruce, uh, because you always want to know who decides. Except on iTunes. Okay. There it's okay. What rating should they leave? Would it be Dave Meltzer's favorite rating? Uh, it's, It's five stars all the way. Okay. Good deal. Please. I'm really looking forward to uh, next week. I, I know a little bit of your personality and what really pisses you off, and I can't wait to slip in as many Dave Meltzer references as possible. Well, you know, I, hopefully in the weeks to come, we'll address some rumors, some innuendos, and some things over the years that have become urban legend and become fact just because people have written about it enough and no one has ever come out and say, no, that's not really what happened. Well, let me tell you what's going to be written about this episode. Nobody's talking about the dream. They're all talking about how Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson shit on Finn Balor, Sami Zayn, and Sasha Banks. That's coming out. Whether we said it or not. Well, actually, you said all that. I love all three of them and think they're wonderful. But you, on the other hand, hate them all. I love everyone. I just love some people more, some people less. And just because I love them doesn't mean I like them. I like it. You're going to love next week's show right here. Something to wrestle with on the MLW Radio Network. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? (laughs) You pay me more. Jeff Smith teaches on the sliding scale. (laughs) Those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.